Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this is our third mini-sode of One to Watch. We are talking about the rest of the book through the end. Um, and we're also going to talk a little bit about Aubrey Gordon's book, What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. What Can you give us a little previously on and a little summary of the third part of the book? Sure. So previously on One to Watch, we <laughs> have narrowed down. Well, One to Watch is, a, is kind of a bachelor style. We have narrowed down our suitors to three. I don't think we have to go as far back as. Right. We're on the bachelor. We're on the main squeeze with B, who is a plus size fashion blogger. She's mar- narrowed down her three suitors, top three suitors to Asher, who is the. Um, handsome single dad professor Sam who's the handsome young sweetheart I don't know that we have a profession for him I think he's maybe he's finding figuring finding himself, himself out yeah exactly um and then Luke who's the Italian chef and French chef French chef you're right French chef not Italian um, I think I went like almost the entire book thinking he was Italian <laughs> and then realizing he wasn't it's very it, near the end. You wanted him, like you find Italian men hotter than French men. So you made him Italian for your own. Maybe. Um, also we're at fantasy suites. They don't call it fantasy suites, but that's where we are now. Right. We've said goodbye to Asher. Asher what? was, um, not Asher. Wyatt. Wyatt was the um, either and asexual or aromantic kind of undefined um, man who B really, really likes that they created a friendship, but he uh, is asexual and or aromantic and thus not interested in a relationship with B. Um, and so she said goodbye to him. And I think that that was where we left off was that rose ceremony. Is that right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now we're into fantasy suites, which Al's right is not fantasy suites. So Allison, yes. what did you think of, of our fantasy suite dates? Well, I'm mad because two of them won't go into, they have their both with both Sam and Asher. She has like very nice dates and then they won't go into a private, like, not fantasy suit with her because Asher's is like because my children will watch this and you know I don't want them to see this so okay I respect that but I was like what show did you come on and I forget Sam's what's Sam's reasoning Sam and B have some like accessible tension he just was like trying to be respectful okay either way don't have sex then go in there and like learn more about each other without the presence of cameras dudes What's wrong with you? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's like the whole point is like, you don't have cameras and there are plenty of people in bachelor world who like not use them for sex, but have used it to like get down to the nitty gritty of stuff. Yeah. I'd be like, who did you vote for <laughs> in the last three presidential elections, primaries and generals. And if you say I don't vote in primaries, then you have to leave. Rachel and famously said that she went in there with a list of questions of like, What's your credit score? Who did you vote for? 
with your credit like, score. What are your hopes, dreams, and aspirations? All that shit. So yeah, it's just a little. And then she does have sex with French and or Italian chef Luke because they have had a hot, hot, hot relationship. And then the next day, oh, and then in the twist, Carrie, do you want to tell what's the twist? Ray shows up, the dude, her like ex-best friend who she slept with when he was engaged. They have like gotten him to come on the show. Does this happen? Does that happen before or after? after first we find out that luke has been sleeping with the producer um which truthfully like didn't really make me like luke all that less because i feel like luke has been very upfront from the beginning he's not really a monogamy kind of guy no when she met his like family it was all friends of his he'd slept with like luke we know who you are she says that when they do a like uh basically i'm just gonna call it after the final rose although obviously that's not what it's called um she's basically like no i'm not mad at him like that's who he is he likes to sleep with a lot of people and he did like happy for you dude <laughs> don't want to don't want to spend my life with you but yeah and like think? even when she right like even when she kicked him off in like not the rose ceremony rose ceremony she was the like i just think we want different things and he was he was still like very sweet and respectful to her and vice versa. It was just sort of like, I think we're not on the same page about what we want. So, right. So then, she, so she sends Luke home. I was just going to say his, his attraction to her is genuine. It's not fetishizing. It's not, you know, he's not, I mean, maybe he's trying to gain fame, but like they're all in a TV show, but I, I think it's nice to have a character who wants sex from her. And it has nothing to do with her body size. Like, he's attracted to her because of, he likes the way she looks. He's sexually attracted to her. He's not, like, fetishizing her body. He's not embarrassed to be seen uh, being attracted to her. I don't know. And it's like, yeah, we don't ultimately want them to, she's looking for, like, a partner. So we don't ultimately want them to end up together. But but it's nice to have that character like Mm -hmm. you do with straight size women in these shows right i also i mean this book is enormously like sex positive in a way that i appreciate um you know the book is not the perspective is never that luke is some kind of like horrible person because he doesn't want a monogamous relationship it's just much like wyatt or any of the other like participants it's just he wants something different in the relationships that he's looking for and like later on in the not after the final rose like in the reunion or whatever it is like they the host asked B like if she regrets sleeping with Luke and she says no not at all like it was good sex like we enjoyed each other's company we were attracted to each other it was what it was um and so I appreciate that this book kind of in a very like stark departure from the the chasteness that is the bachelor um really approaches sex in a really kind of positive way i was just gonna say she kicks luke off sends him home and then ray shows up which we knew was gonna happen it was inevitable yeah 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 yeah. and then asher leaves 
because he's pissed that she at one point had sex with someone who was engaged, which like, okay. But like, I don't, I don't know. It didn't make me like Asher in that moment. <laughs> and he's the one we're supposed to be rooting for. No. And I get that we had to like get him to leave dramatically so that for like twists and turns because spoiler alert, but you're listening to the last part. She will ultimately be left with sweet Sam and fucking shitty Ray. And she goes on like a date with Ray and she makes out with him and you think she's going to forgive him. And then she ends up rejecting both him and Sam one nicer than the other because Sam, you know, is a kind hearted, good, lovely person who they're just in different parts of their lives. And Ray fucking sucks. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and like we had to get to the point where like, is she gonna choose one of them? Is she gonna, oh no, get back with Ray? Or is she gonna choose Sam, who like she may have a lovely life with, but is not like the one for her the way Asher is? So I get that we had to like get him to leave in a huff, but like, I don't know. I didn't love that it was that he was just like pissed she slept. Like, is it good that she slept with someone who was in a relationship? No. But I have compassion for her, and I think Asher should do. And he should at least hear her out. Well, yeah, and, like, it's just part of her story. And, like, you get you got to take somebody, like, flaws and all. Right, and it's and not like she's I like, ha-ha, like look that. what I did. Like, she's she feels bad about it. Like, she doesn't think that was a great choice she made. <laughs> she's not defending her choice. Right. Um. I mean, we get some backstory on Asher and, like, why it affects him so deeply, which I can appreciate it. I also, the thing I do like is there's, she has, and she has a monologue where um, she says, like, you know, she's regretting her choices and, and but she's, she says, like, she knew on some level she wasn't the only one to blame that Asher was jealous and judgmental and then he made her feel insecure throughout this process that he was probably already looking for an excuse to bail in order to have done so that done so that quickly and completely but here in this lovely hotel room with the view of the scene he felt hollow without him like some essential part of her had been scooped out so I appreciate that there's there's some complexity to their relationship that I don't know that we always get in rom-coms like it's usually like one person's fault or the other Um, and then that person has to, you know, do the grand romantic gesture to win the other back. And here it's two people who have their flaws and Mm -hmm. who have both contributed to this relationship, at least at this point, not working out. And so how do they get past that? And how do they figure that out and accept each other's flaws and baggage? So in that way, like, I appreciate that the story is a little bit more complex than maybe what we're used to. Yes, that's fair. Fine. Fine, I'll forgive Asher. So anyway, she picks no one, and it's good. Um, I also, yeah. um, at one point, her best friend shows up, like, after Ray has arrived, her best friend shows up, or she's allowed to FaceTime with her because they're in a different country. And I just really like, I feel like we haven't talked enough about her best friend character, whose name is Marin. And she basically has a conversation with her and like tells her what happened. And she's like, no, Ray sucks. Like he doesn't make you, he, he, the line she says that I really liked was he brings out the worst in you because he makes you think he's all you deserve. And I liked the framing of it as like, he brings out the worst in you. Cause it's like not absolving B of her guilt for having, you know, had, had an affair with a married man or an engaged man. 
but it's also like he because he makes her feel so shitty and like she deserves that sort of like lesser than love like it is just all the reasons he sucks and I really um and it's a good way to frame like like who of these people make you feel like the best version of yourself um and it's not him like mm-hmm. you've had however many weeks now with all these men many of whom have right. sucked but a lot of whom have brought out like various great sides to her like any one of them like sam asher you know if she wants to be in a platonic <laughs> soulmate situation with wyatt like any one of them would make make her a better version of herself than ray did and i just like that conversation with a best friend i right. just like the the female friendship aspect of this I also really like her relationship with Allison, her um, like stylist mm-hmm. um, and wardrobe person on the show. Um, she become Allison becomes B's like confidant and kind of like best friend while she's away from Marin, and she ends up like designing B this like really beautiful dress that she made herself for B's like final episode. Um, well, because she's also plus size, so she understands how to dress her to make her feel beautiful and not like, like she's trying to hide anything or try, you know, like she doesn't right. deserve to have like beautiful, fabulous clothes. Right, and she like yes, she like took a lot of care to make sure that like be always look beautiful, and she picks out all these like really like fancy designer dresses for her final episode, and then she's like, I have this, you're gonna hate it, but like, and then B is like, no, I love it. And, who did it and she says I did um and it's just a really sweet scene and I really appreciated like that relationship as well um, well and then there's a cute little um side romantic relationship where Allison and uh Marin end up together <laughs> which I like I like that everyone finds love mm-hmm. which feels I do I like it too it feels a little bit like oh we have two lesbian characters we have to pair them off but um <laughs> Yeah, I'll take uh, it though. You're, I felt the same thing, but it's like whatever. Every week, everyone gets happiness. So anyway, Asher doesn't show up at at the reunion special. Uh, Chris Evans is has been tweeting about how happy he is. So we have some uh, Chris Evans, and then he shows up at the reunion special. <laughs> and she like thinks I it's gonna be it. Asher, and then it's Chris Evans, and she's like, "I've never expected myself to be so disappointed. No one had ever been so disappointed to see Chris Evans." <laughs> Yeah, I love the Chris Evans like fanfic that takes place in this book. It's great. Um, so then you know she and Asher have to get back together and apologize to each other for being shitty. Oh, we find out Sam is going to be the next lead. He's going to be like the new, yeah, bachelor. And he's re- and he's request which like he deserves it. And also like Sam is the perfect person to like make their career being in one to watch. Uh nation you know mm-hmm. young he's hot he doesn't really have a career so like you know he's going to become an instagram influencer but he's gonna yeah. make money off get of it. that spawn you he's know. gonna get that spawn and he has requested to have a lot of size diversity in his women so i would like a sequel and i would like him i want to see that he doesn't just choose like a thin blonde woman mm-hmm. yep sam you better stick to your word I guess, like, if he truly loves a thin blonde woman, but, like, no, you don't. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to live in, like, ba- Bachelor fanfic world, like, let's let him pick somebody a little more diverse than thin blonde lady. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, like, I really 
loved reading this book. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Wait, she and Asher have to get back. We have to finish it. She and Asher get back together. They get back together at an art, at the art gallery, right? Mm-hmm. And then basically they live out their happy lives, and he proposes in the epilogue. Yes, and I do like this line when she's describing his proposal and she says he wasn't a fantasy he wasn't a dream and he wasn't a happy ending he was warmth and wit and kindness and certainty and a surprise he was the person who could hurt her most in the world and he was worth the risk oh, yes it's all very nice it's, no, a, it's, it's a all, fun book it's a fun yeah. book it kind of turns on the head all the worst parts of reality dating television so i appreciate that as somebody who consumes reality dating television yeah and b is a full multi-dimensional character mm-hmm. and i think it's i i i think it's clear this was written by a plus-size woman although i guess like i've only seen kate Stamen london's like headshot on twitter so maybe i'm just assuming that but i feel like I don't know that a thin person could write the nuance of the experience of living as a fat person in the world as well as she does. And it's interesting to see that sort of like, I was thinking about this as transitional art as I was reading uh, what to talk about when we don't talk about fat. Like what an interesting, like to have someone on a bachelor type show where you're going to be meeting a lot of people very quickly and also being on television is a very unique, is a very good way to get sort of like a lot of experiences that, people in bigger bodies have every day like condensed so that we can see or have all these different negative and positive experiences you can have all these different like um you know the different ways she's treated by men the different ways she's treated by people watching the show the way she's treated by producers like if you were to just write like i'm just gonna write a book about a fat woman out in the world like having them happen one after the other i don't know that would feel as natural as it does when she's in the sort of like hyper um heightened reality of being Mm -hmm. on a tv show and i thought that was interesting because a lot of the sort of like experience she has and experiences she talk about aubrey gordon talks about in her book and i just thought which is another reason where i'm like okay the woman who write the woman who wrote this has to have you know the lived experience i've lived that experience so because i just did that transition so seamlessly we also read what we don't talk about when we talk about fat which is not a rom-com book it's a it's non-fiction it's non-fiction i was trying to think if like would i call it a memoir would i call it it's like essays but it's also like there's a lot of science like there's a lot of numbers which i appreciate data driven yeah very data driven but it also has her like own experiences like it has personal stories of like the one that sticks out to me there was one the two that stick out most to me were one where she was on an airplane and a man next to her demanded um a new seat and the airline was like so accommodating and apologetic to him um because he had the unfortunate whatever of like having to sit next to her on a flight and it just like absolutely broke my heart and also, like, I hope that guy, you know, trips and breaks his nose and it has to get a lot of really painful surgeries to um, fix the deviated septum he'll suffer as a result. That's just a scenario I came up in my head with right now. <laughs> um, 
but it's just really like so she, and then the other one was her shopping in a grocery store and a woman coming up to her like unprompted and like staring at the cantaloupe in her cart and being like do you really want to get that it has a lot of sugar in it which like hey number one don't tell strangers don't tell anyone don't tell strangers what they should put in their shopping cart and also be number two it's fully fruit you dumbass bitch like she's eating what like what we consider to be quote-unquote like healthy food like not that if she had like a giant box of entenmann's donuts it would have been any more appropriate but like bitch it's fruit and then she goes to tell her friend she's like complaining to a friend later that night and her friend was like she's just trying to help you and i was like oh I hope I'm I just thought like I hope I'm never that friend that like when someone's complaining like like the saddest part of that story was not like the horrible woman sorry it was not like the horrible woman in the grocery store the saddest part of the story to me was like the friend that then like she just couldn't vent and be like I had this terrible day and this woman said this awful thing and now I feel bad about myself and her friend couldn't just be like oh that sucks I hate that woman but but like she sort of piled on and it it's as like someone mm-hmm. who wants to be both an ally and a good friend it's like oh i hope i've never been that friend yeah yeah the one that sticks out to me is she is like her talking about her childhood experiences and there were like two first is her pediatrician being like well if you just maintain your weight then as you grow like you'll stretch out like I'm not telling you to diet I'm not telling you to lose weight but just like maintain your weight and then which is something that my pediatrician told me pretty much every single time I went to the pediatrician and she says like she has this sort of like like reaction of like okay but what do I do differently because I already eat like all the things that you're telling me to eat and I don't eat the things that you don't tell me to eat and like I had a very similar experience I also had that experience as an adult um like in order to where is it- I, when I was trying to get pregnant cut out my cutoff keep going when I was trying to get pregnant I went to my, my gynecologist and I was like I'm having trouble getting pregnant like you know x y and z you could always lose weight like that might help and I was like okay well how do you recommend I do that because I'm literally eating the healthiest I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I'm exercising more regularly than I ever have in my entire life. So what would you like me to do differently to try and lose weight? Because I bet your answer is restrict in some way. And I am not willing to do that. Like I was already eating like a 90% vegan diet. And like, it was just like, I don't know what else you could want me to do. And at that point, like, the recommendation of losing weight becomes unhealthy because what you're telling people is like, you need to restrict or you need to engage in some kind of extreme behavior, whether it's extreme exercising or extreme dieting or whatever, like, and we've talked about this before and we've said it before, but like, you can't tell someone's health. You can't tell their lifestyle and their habits from looking at them. Well, and also what it does, what it does is tell fat people like the, what we would prescribe as an eating disorder in a thin person we're telling fat people to do in order to lose weight. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like being prescribed by doctors. Like if I ate a certain level of restricting, like it would be considered an eating disorder. If like a fat person does it, it's like, well, they're just trying to do what they can to be healthy. And it's like, no, it's not healthy in either body. <laughs> like, right. but right. the thing about maintaining your weight as a, 
child is like you say like they that they tell you to maintain they're not telling you to diet they're just telling you to maintain your weight and it's like but if you're as a child you're growing so you have to like eat calories Mm -hmm. to keep up with growing so in order to maintain your weight as you grow you have to diet so that like it's just like I am not a scientist and I understand that doctors are but the very basic scientific facts of like as you grow taller your weight will get more because there's more to your person. So you have to eat less to maintain your weight. It just doesn't make sense. And it's a very stupid thing to come from doctors. And yeah. yeah. Well, and it also just ingrains in you so early that like something she says, like suddenly I was getting all this information, like my body's wrong. I'm doing something wrong. Um, I need to feel shame. I'm not beautiful because the doctor said to her, like, you'll, Like, if you just maintain your weight, then you'll grow and you'll be thin and beautiful. Like, and it's like, you're ingraining in kids so early on this, like, weight stigma and diet culture and body hatred. And then it just gets compounded as, as we get older and we're just fed it from everywhere, including the people that are supposed to be trusted the most are fucking pediatricians. (laughs) Like, yeah. It's just crazy. And one of the things I like about the, both this book and One to Watch is that like until you start really thinking about all the ways that diet culture and anti-fat bias are ingrained in like every fab fabric of everything we consume every single day, like you don't, it, because it's so pervasive, you don't think about it until you start reading books like this where it is demonstrating all of those ways. Um, and I think, so it was just really helpful to me to read this book alongside the like sweet, fun, bubbly rom-com to sort of open my eyes to like all the different ways this exists in everything we do from our doctors to the media we consume to, you know, all, what have you. It just like, this book is not you know, a fun rom-com. It is a data-driven sort of personal essays, but like everything she says, she backs up with data and science. Like, yeah, I think that's what I really love about this book is like how data heavy it is because it becomes very difficult to argue, like fall back on all, all the old arguments around weight and health. If you have the data staring you in the face. Right. It's the West Wing line of like, if you want to prove something to me, bring me numbers. And Aubrey Gordon was like, okay, I will. (laughs) Here is a book filled with numbers. Her thesis is not like we should all be eating like junk all the time. Her thesis is just that like, you can't tell from some looking at somebody whether they're eating junk or they're eating well and you should, and we should be approaching if like truly the concern is about health and we should be approaching health a on a macro level not a micro level so we shouldn't make it an individualized thing we should like the policy in this country should be geared toward making people healthier um which it's not currently and like her book bears all of that out in the ways that like the farm bill and like you know we very much have made this obesity epidemic and i say that in quotes like an individualized thing when like the subsidies are such and the lobby is such that the crap that makes us less healthy is the stuff that's getting peddled to us and as opposed to like 
fresh produce and lean meats and like all this stuff. And so her thesis is like, okay, let's talk about health and let's talk about it on a micro level, not a macro level, not a micro level. And then also like, if you want to have conversations about a healthy lifestyle, you need to be having them with everybody because like what you prescribe as health needs to be true across the board. Um, And that also takes into consideration like a holistic view of health. And so if what you're prescribing to somebody to help them like quote unquote be healthy, read, lose weight is affecting like their mental health and causing eating disorders and all of that, like then you're also not focused on health. Well, and just from my own personal experience, like, cause the thing that always pokes up me is when people look at fat people and decide that they have diabetes because they are at a certain weight and diabetes and health disease and all these things that they may or may not have because you can't tell someone's health status just by looking at them. But like when I was getting diagnosed with diabetes at 29, at the thinnest I'd ever been because I'd, I'd ever been in adulthood, because I'd lost a shit ton of weight very quickly because I was sick, um, they could not figure it out. And because there's this idea that um, type one diabetes is only diagnosed in children. They like truly could not figure it out. I had someone be like, do you, a nurse be like, do you drink a lot of pop? I don't understand. And a doctor straight up say like, I don't know, this doesn't make any sense. And there are a lot of stories of people I follow, like in the type one diabetes community of uh, a lot of stories of usually fat women who have type one diabetes being misdiagnosed for years with type two. And no one thinks to like do the testing to see if it's maybe type one because they just assume because of their body size, it must be type two and it must be something they've done, which can be like very dangerous. I got lucky. I went to an endocrinologist. I got lucky for two reasons. One, I'm thin. So I went to an endocrinologist that was like, well, we have to test you for type one. Um, but, But who was also like, you could also have type two diabetes and be thin. Like you can get type two diabetes at any body size. Um, but also she, te- like I, she tested me for type one because she knew better. But if I hadn't had an endocrinologist that was that good, or if I had been bigger, who knows? And it's very dangerous and people can get very sick and even die. And so that is one of the many ways that fat phobia affects even thin people. So we should all abolish it. Well, and Aubrey Gordon, I don't know if she talks about it in this book or if I've just heard her talk about it in other contexts, but that like anti-fat bias and weight stigma affects thin people too. And it, and that's true of all biases. Like we, we talk, you, we, the proverbial, we, we talk about that in terms of like feminism and the racial justice movement. Like if you make things more equitable, if you remove stigma and you remove bias, then everybody benefits, you know, like in feminism, if you, like deconstruct the patriarchy, like men benefit because they don't become victims of toxic masculinity. If you get rid of, and we begin to break down like anti-fat bias and weight stigma, then thin people get better healthcare too. Because again, we're making policy on a macro level that affects everybody. And we are taking away our preconceived notions about who gets what illness. Yes. Anyway, it's very good. It was very good to read as a companion to this. Although, you know, one was a fun rom-com and one is, you know, depressing. But depressing in the best kind of way. Depressing in a way that makes you want to do better and see better and be better. Right. And they're both needed and they both contribute to 
representation and conversations around um, weight bias um, in different ways. And they're both important. And I would highly recommend both. Next week, we are watching Serendipity. So I'm very excited about that. I'm going to get some ice cream to watch. Maybe I'm making myself an ice cream sundae while I watch Serendipity. You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Um, You can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can and should tell your friends about this show and leave us a little rating or review. Unless it's mean, then keep it to yourself. I don't have the patience for that. Only leave us nice reviews. Okay. And if you're going to leave a mean one, make it funny. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Bye. Bye.